Hi, this is Lou Rosenfeld, and you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review Podcast, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media, where we're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out the elephant. And today's uh, blind man joining me is design systems, uh, I'll say guru, I think we can get away with it here, Nathan Curtis of Eight Shapes. Hi, Nathan, how are you? Good, Lou, how are you? I'm great, and I'm happy to be talking with you. Because, as you know, uh, I'm involved in design ops as far as helping uh, produce the Design Ops Summit, where you're going to be teaching a workshop on design systems October 25th in New York. Um, And when you're involved in design operations, a lot of people think it's design systems. Uh, That's not exactly true, but there's certainly a relationship there. And what's so interesting to me about the workshop you're going to be teaching is that it's perfectly situated for that intersection of design operations and design systems. So Nathan is teaching a workshop called Operating Design Systems, Curating a Product and Serving Products. And instead of a workshop like he's been teaching at our other conferences for years, which is so popular, people love what he's done in the past, your past workshops have really been about managing uh, design objects and code and and figuring out color uh, and typography, kind of standard design system components. But you're really talking about operating a design system as a product. It's it's almost like really, uh, I I sort of see what you're doing in this new workshop as like a product manager's take on managing a design system. Am I close? I think you are. it's been about four years since that framing of a design system of, of a, as a product has, has taken root, but now it's really started to grow uh, into a lot of techniques and a, and a lot of approaches and, and simply a mindset of thinking of, of the system as this thing that has customers. And you not only do you develop it, and that's what you were talking about before, you, you develop systems of color and typography and icons, you weave them through a UI component catalog, you offer it as design assets and, and code libraries, and hopefully it's documented really well in some gorgeous site. Those are all like the hard outputs of a system. And we've been talking about that for years. And, and the workshop that uh, I've been working with you on for the last four years now, it's been it's yeah. quite some time, uh, really had a lot of those pieces integrated into it. And over time, I found myself and the audience drifting also towards all these other activities that had nothing to do with color, had nothing to do with designing the padding on a button, but how, how you define uh, what your product is, who's it supposed to serve, how you're going to build it, how you're going to create a roadmap, how you're going to communicate about it, how you're going to involve all the different people that, that contribute to it and form teams around it. And, and so it has expanded so much and, and that point of view has changed and frankly the activities over the past few years have evolved that I'm, I'm with you like just taking this point to to do a second generation of this whole thing like do a breaking change in effect to, to the workshop and well, a few of the activities are sustained from what I've done before more than half of the workshop is, is going to be brand new material because it reflects how the practice that we at Eight Shapes and people in the industry have evolved over the last few years. Well, so, I mean, what, what is nice about your approach, though, is that it, it kind of helps people make this move to managing design systems more um, 
kind of naturally because you're you're kind of bringing this to what should be comfortable and familiar territory for them as people already familiar with the idea of of managing uh, designed products and services. Most of the time, Most yes. Of the time. It, it, it feels natural, particularly to product orgs, where I would say the design system investment has definitely been the largest. Uh, those organizations that make a portfolio of digital products. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the framing uh, in part is strategic in that it speaks the language of leadership. It speaks the language of investment that the organization has and it, and it positions uh, the system in a way that is free to grow and evolve, to, to be funded, to have teams put against it, and, and also to relate it to all the other investments that they make as they think about the life cycle of all the products in their portfolio. They create new ones, they start to emerge, they start to mature, and then eventually some of them become legacy or just in maintenance mode. That's a way you can think about system or a design system or frankly, each generation of your design system too. So all that grounds people in thinking about the role and how to approach systems, but it's not for everybody. And in particular, um, I'm on a project now where the marketing organization has a vast array of different web properties that they support, not just products and solutions tech support and training and certification and so on, but all sorts of other event things and, and all these different site experiences, but they don't operate as a product org. And so a lot of the things that we think about in setting up roadmaps and setting up workflows and so on, they're, they're comfortable with those. But then once you start to say the word squad and you start to talk about, well, we need multidisciplinary groups here, designers, developers, other people, that doesn't fit their frame. And so there are sort of additional moments where they have to be acclimated to that way of thinking. Well, what about for the people who are sort of already quite acclimated? I'm sure there's still some points where the analogy of, of, product, of a, a design system as product still can break down, right? They may, like, there's probably a few cases, I'm guessing, where it, that, that analogy doesn't necessarily carry you as far forward as you might need it. Well, you certainly have to build upon that and set expectations that distinguish the system's expectations from that of a product squad. I, I, I see product squads thinking about their roadmap often in conjunction with other products, and there's planning at the organizational level in some increment of time, and that happens with design systems too. But when you get down to the iteration that a product squad goes through every couple of weeks, they have a designer, they have a developer, they're trying to finish the story, they crank it out, they, they have various levels of quality they need to meet, but then it's produced and they move on to the next thing. And so people ask uh, those creating design systems, why is this so complicated? And why does it take so long to build a button? For example, that's a story I use. And, and the reason is because you don't just have a design step and a code step and a designer and coder working together. You have a step that precedes that to decide, in the case of the button, you know you're gonna have a button. But for other components, not just should we make it? Who's it relevant for? Is it worth putting in a system? And you have to reach out into communities of people, designers and engineers that sort of spider web all the way through an organization to get their input. And, and that still happens at the design step and at the code step too, pull requests that engage people outside your team as a natural part of the course of getting work done, asking them for feedback on APIs. Oh, and then you have to document it. You have to release it in a pipeline. You have to be really disciplined about versions and breaking changes because you're a dependency of their group. Uh, and they depend on you to be stable and, and work with discipline. And so 
uh, a slide that I, I've given for quite some time just has an inequality on it. This, the quality of a system has to be greater than or equal to the quality of a product or else a product team's gonna ignore it because they can feel they do it, can do it better themselves. And so naturally, things that are perceived as smaller need to be more robust and, and the investment is greater. But you realize the scale of doing it in one team so that 50 other teams don't have to do it. And the, the cost benefit is still quite obvious. Well, what else is different about system as product versus uh, some of the more traditional things we think of as products? Difference, uh, other differences. I, I'm so acclimated to thinking about them the same way. I think that the proximity to your customers is another one. Uh, certainly healthy product squads have research as a part of their routine. Um, but you think about the, the connectedness of a design system with its customers, who are the designers and engineers and other people around your org, uh, the threadedness and how well they participate and how strongly they influence even on a day-to-day -day basis is a lot higher. And so while you can essentially put user research participants in a box and, and create a study and, and, and get your 10 participants for whatever iteration you're gonna do, here, it's a lot more fluid, um, myself included, but other people like Gina and, and uh, members of the design system field just hammer home the reality that design systems aren't just systems of visual style propagated through UI components. They're systems of people. Right. And managing the connectedness of those people um, takes a, a significantly greater proportion of your time than it would if you're a designer or an engineer on a product squad itself. So it's just harder in terms of it requires, it's got more complexity, requires uh, uh, more people to interact with. Uh, there's more uh, distance that you have to afford um, to, to gain that proximity. Um, I, I just, I don't want to quite let this issue of systems go just yet because I feel like <laughs> there's more to it. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, it's not a, it's not, I mean, you call it a design, we call these design systems for a reason, but what I feel like you're talking about is really expanding that definition of what it means to be a system. It's, it's a system of, of things, obviously, that can be applied to improve design outcomes, make products better, amplify uh, a design organization's uh, uh, capacity, but I feel like you're really getting into talking a lot more about discrete and different and distributed audiences and participants, right? Like there's a certain higher level of complexity in terms of who engages with a system of this type than um, maybe meets the eye. Yeah, I think that how you are relating to it, I identify with the degree to which people participate and the role that they play in a system. And at most large orgs now that are making significant investments in design systems, you've either got a, an actual full team or in cases of some of these really large systems or well-known systems in, in large tech companies, you have teams of teams that are assigned to do the system. That is their job. But you think about the remainder of nodes around the community of people you work with on a day-to-day -day basis. And systems are nodes and connections between nodes and the way things pass between them. Um, there's this spectrum that people lie on. And on the one side is, is really the central team making stuff as a part of the job. On the 
other side of that spectrum are people that use the system. It's your run-of-the-mill customer that takes those packages, those assets, and uses them as tools to improve their day-to-day work. And then there's that space in between. And that's probably the most challenging one to, to form rigorous processes that, that are well-defined that everybody understands. And the two nodes between it, the one closer to the system's core team, uh, I often just term as an extended team. Who are those uh, designers or uh, developers? Often it's like a guild or a set of ambassadors or champions or advocates, whatever you call them, that are really strongly connected to the systems effort itself. They can speak to what's going on. They're very well-versed in the in the roadmap of things and, and where the system's going. And they have a, a high degree of influence because they participate a lot. They're maybe even expected to review pull requests or attend design critiques or, or whatever it is. And then on the other side, closer to adopters, you have people that see themselves as uh, passionate and they really like what the system's doing and they have something of value they can put back in it. And so when you transform that adopt, adopter into a contributor, maybe it's a simple fix, maybe they start to get acclimated with how the system works and they enhance a particular component, maybe, but it's complicated. They, act, they work with you to create a new component um, those folks aren't necessarily on the extended team per se, but they start to become a vibrant part of that tapestry of, of people that, that are making this, pushing the system forward. Well, and so uh, that's, a, that's a hard spectrum to manage, uh, people's sense of self and where they fit. I'm going to take a moment to let you know about what's keeping me busy at the moment. Rosenfeld Media is putting on a third edition of the Design Ops Summit in New York City this October 23rd to 25th. You, like many of our listeners, are probably dealing with the challenge of moving your organization from design thinking to design doing. And for that reason, you're probably already excited by the emergence of design and research operations and their potential. Here in 2019, we're seeing design ops and research ops maturing, moving from definition and scoping to more formal, rigorous practices. And that's the story of this year's conference. The program focuses on tools, techniques, and takeaways that you can bring back to the office. So I think you'll want to join us in New York this October. Please check out our program, and if you like what you see, buy your ticket at designopssummit.com. Yeah, it's a scoping challenge, right? And I, I know that a lot of design ops people are really struggling with where to draw a boundary uh, around right. their purview, and I'm sure it's the same at a design systems level. Um, when the UX writers come to you, and your design manager or design ops person of some sort, do you welcome them into the design system? Do you merge their style guide in? I'm sure that it's true for other aspects of design that we may not think of right out of the right out of the gate. That's I, I love that example, actually, because UX writers, content strategists, copywriters, whatever the term is for the people that are dedicated to voice and tone and and thinking about the message and crafting the words uh, that weave through uh, an experience, they often become some of our best friends. Uh, I actually look for um, someone who will serve as a system editor selfishly because we produce a lot of documentation and the people look at the systems documentation as a reflection of the values of the system. So it needs to be higher quality. But then with, that opens the door to possibilities of, well, what's your role in helping us design and review the coded pieces that we have? What's your role in helping us articulate uh, content rules or do's and don'ts specific to each component? What's your role and, and are we a venue for you to project your value? 
whether you're a content strategist or an accessibility specialist or someone who's building a burgeoning motion library or whatever, mm-hmm. is, does that play a role in what the system has? And that's what I'm seeing at companies that I work with over the last couple of years is the visual style and components remain the core. Let's make no mistake. And, and maybe a better term for what we do is interface design system um, or interface system. But uh, it's still bridging out to those other things. And when at Morningstar, uh, it's a team I worked with in 2017 and 18, they had another parallel effort, but it wasn't as formed as strongly into the product ethos as the design system had become ingrained in. Uh, was charts. They had a big charts library. That's part of how they communicate financial data. And when they brought the charts into the team, it's just like you got a turbo boost of quality and energy. And and, and suddenly that sum was bigger than each of the parts of it that's uh, been there before. And I see teams grappling with that. Um, and I, another thing that I see, not discipline specific, but organizational silo specific, is just the consolidation of system efforts too. And that's a whole different can of worms because then emotions and <laughs> oh yeah get involved well by the way i hear what you say about ux writers being your best friend uh, the same is true for me in fact i'm i'm married to one um <laughs> lucky you absolutely uh so one you know I, just the complexity that we're dealing with here and i i'm i just admire you for for trying to at least scratch the surface in your workshop um good on you Thank you for doing this. Uh, but the complexity is so, so broad. And yet, I, I got to imagine, given that you do so much consulting on design systems, and I know you do a lot of coaching, you do a lot of different types of engagements, you probably work on more design systems than anyone in the world, frankly. Uh, given that exposure, are you seeing that there's like this difficult challenge of establishing design systems in organizations who are only willing to just sort of understandably take dip a toe in initially. Uh, they, they may not want to fund more than one or a few people to manage design or, or design systems, or even create them when like the team that you're describing, the product team for design system really should be much bigger than almost any other product that an organization actually gets out. I think that depends. Uh, it depends on the scale of the org. If you're talking about an IBM, yeah, you need a bit or, or let's say a Salesforce or, or mm-hmm. uh, some company that has such a broad portfolio. Google, for example, probably has teams distributed around that all congeal with material is today. But for some companies, you don't need a full squad to get started, but there's definitely stages of growth that they go through. And some of the clients I work with uh, are at that point where they've tried a system before, maybe it was on bootstrap uh, and that they had people do it in, as a part of their job for a, a, um, a period of time that ended. And then people look at them around and say, what happened? Why isn't this going on anymore? Why isn't this a, a viable thing in our org? It's because people stopped working on it. Because when you have a product, you don't just put a product into a marketplace and then walk away and start doing something else. You have to support it. You have to market it. You have to communicate things about it. You have to keep enhancing it. It's got to grow and live. And so, uh, wait a minute. I, I use see- so many products that don't seem to have been changed in eight years. Well, well so that, city banks fair. business. Uh, anyway, sorry. I just yeah, couldn't but, help but bitch for a moment, but get back to what you're saying. 
the the other challenge I see uh, organizations at scale uh, and dealing with operations uh, is going through that big generational change of systems too. Because once you get a system and it gets ingrained in how things work uh, and and starts to weave itself through a, a majority of the products in your portfolio, you know what they think? They think success, we've done it. We've got a system, everything looks consistent. And then you're like, oh, wait, our tech stack's gonna change. Or, oh, wait, our design language needs to change. Oh, we have to go through change. And, and uh, I probably have more scars in the last couple of years over um, dealing with or taking organizations through a period of generational change from a, a very stable and mature system to the next version of that stable, mature system. because. Uh, it's actually been even harder to get people to adopt in the speed by which they do things. I hear things at, at Salesforce, they, they, they talk about how the lightning design system, they can't deprecate things. Mm -hmm. They have to promise that everything they've ever built will continue to work. And Oh my gosh, that's a burden. That, that's tough to do while still trying to move it forward and, and bring new things too. And so that that's the, the challenges that I see that our, our field still sorting out trying to make easier. well uh, as far as how you solve these big 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 problems um uh, i'm gonna step back a moment and uh point people to your business eightshapes.com which uh has been around for uh what about 15 years now 2006 so uh, 13 yeah, just about and uh your partner is dan brown uh you're I see the two of you as uh, two of the most intelligent information architects I know. So you see where I'm going here. Uh, I, I I feel like there's not enough discussion of the role of IA in solving not only the kind of nuts and bolts management and design of design systems, but maybe more importantly, the kind of scalability you're just referring to. Uh, there's no question that while Dan remains in discovery and UX work, that's probably more closely aligned with the IA we, we both know and love, um, that issues of hierarchy and taxonomy and naming things and connecting dots and, and creating flows uh, permeates everything that we do to make a system work in an enterprise. Uh, I, I bring those skills to bear on challenges as uh, granular as tokens that describe a visual style in code and data, it's like a big property value hierarchy that describes color and type and so on. And I, I openly admit to my clients, I'm like, if you want, th that's where my energy is. If you need somebody to do that, like I'm all over that task, but uh, there just as much, I see organizational charts and, and I see, um, product timelines and I see dependency trees and all these things, they all still light the same fire of, of architecting information. And um, one of the things that I like to do with teams that I'm trying to lead is say, I've built a lot of these structures before. I can help you create all the blanks you need to fill. And when you discover there are new blanks to fill that I haven't articulated, I can help you think about the the challenges and the boundaries where you're going to trip up mm -hmm. and where you're going to get stalled. Um, but please fill in the blanks yourself. Um, and so that that to me is an architect's job uh, to help those kinds of teams succeed and design systems is like one of those challenges. Well, well, thank you, Nathan. Um, uh, you, you made this old information architect happy for at least the, the rest of the day. <laughs> um, 
Nathan Curtis is teaching uh, a kind of cutting edge design systems workshop at design, the Design Ops Summit in Brooklyn, New York, October 25th. The workshop is operating design systems, curating a product, serving products. Uh, Nathan, one of the partners at 8Shapes. You can learn more at 8Shapes.com. And that's the word eight, not the number eight, unless you grab that domain too. Did you? We did. The, the third conversation we had where we decided the name of the company, uh, where we both like shapes because we're IAs and we diagram things. And then Dan was like, what do you think about the number eight? And I said, oh, that's two to the third power. I love the number eight. And so we reserved eightshapes.com as E-I-G-H-T and the number eight. And then nobody ever used the one with number eight. And we let the, the thing lapse. So you definitely got to spell it out, E-I-G-H-T. There you go. If you want to learn more about Nathan uh, and Eight Shapes, you know how to find him. And uh, Nathan, looking forward to seeing you in October. Thanks so much for joining us today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen. Please check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.